0: Welcome to season two of the Making Bank Podcast, where we continue our exploration of South Florida's entrepreneurial landscape with host Keith Costello, co-founder and CEO of Locality Bank. Sit back, relax, and let South Florida visionaries guide you on an entrepreneurial journey from tribulation to triumph, sharing the very stories that have shaped them.
1: Danny James, welcome to Locality Bank's Making Bank Podcast. Good to be here, Keith. So, um, you know, we're really excited for you to share your story today, uh, Danny. Uh, you know, I've known you for a little while. We're in the same Vistage group. So um, I have the pleasure of, of knowing a little bit about you and your business and your family. And you've got a great story. So we're, we're really excited to have you on today. And I usually start off just by going back to your youth when you grew up, your family, where you grew up and any entrepreneurial experiences that occurred, you know, when you were young? Absolutely. Um,
0: I'm fortunate to be born and raised right here in good old South Florida, Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale. Okay. Wow. Up the, up the road at Holy Cross hospital in 1981. Um, but again, grew up down here. Um, again, I consider myself fortunate to have grown up in this area. It's a great area to grow up and, um, ended up going to school here locally and uh, sticking around here at all about 1999. But growing up here, I mean, local schools right around the corner at Bethany Christian, before they had bought Florinata and done some of the expansion. They only went to fifth grade at the time. Then I ended up going to St. Mark's for a period, then Cardinal Gibbons. Okay. And then uh, off to uh, the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy.
1: And so, and growing up, did you have any kind of odd uh, jobs or did you have any business ventures that you were involved in as you, as you were growing up? Two jobs
0: that stuck around. My first entrepreneurial uh, thing was starting a shoeshine business at my dad's uh, law firm. And uh, um, I had one good client and it was my dad. So <laughs> um, it, it never got the traction to having all the... Uh, lawyer lawyers, paralegals and, and uh, various employees there bringing it. But it was a nice uh, first experience. but the, the two jobs that I had through high school, um, my first which was Primo Subs, um, which Primos at the time was brand new. Wow. And Elliot Olson, I believe, was the lawyer that started Primo Subs on the uh, onset. So I worked there for about two years and then- It was a lawyer that started it? Yeah, I believe it was Elliot Olson. Um, Or Borkson, was it? Or Olson? I believe it was Olson. Olson, okay. But that could be corrected, especially since this is going to go out on a podcast. (laughs) So please fact check that. (laughs) Okay, we'll Um, fact check it. But um, got a job there as soon as I was able to work, get a little bit of extra cash and then- um, Ended up working at a marina down in Miami, North Miami, Sunny Isles Marina. And, um, you know, with someone that ended up having a lot of my roots in the marine industry and in waterways, that was um, a great place to have a job working as a deckhand, cleaning the boats, either going out or coming back and uh, just being around the water and making money doing it
1: in high school. And what was it like? Your dad was an attorney, and what kind of advice did you get from your father?
0: I think the main advice when you're going through those uh, interesting developmental years in high school is uh, just do something that's productive (laughs) because there's a lot of different directions that you can go with your time and uh, whether you're devoting your time to school and studying or whether you're devoting your time to sports or making money. The most important thing is that you're doing it in a way that is constructive. So that was always one of his concerns is that I was using my time in a constructive manner. And um, too much downtime, it's not necessarily a good thing when you're in high school.
1: Yeah, that's great advice. I have to use that on my son. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So you decide to go to the Merchant Marine uh, Academy, right? So how do you uh, decide to do that? Well, I questioned the decision quite frequently
0: the first year or two when I'd visit my sisters at Florida State, but (laughs) I ended up making that decision. A lot of it was my passion of the marine industry and uh, the love of boats and waterways. So going to one of the federal service academies, which is a federal service academy, so it's paid for, um, but doing it in a way where it had a military component it had a marine um component to it shipping component to it and for me that gave me i knew it would be harder i knew it wouldn't quite be the college experience that my sisters were having at florida state or many of my friends at uf or fsu but i knew that uh in the long run a lot of that sacrifice and hard work would uh would pay off and give me uh options in the future
1: wow so uh that was a pretty, I would say, pretty mature decision that you made at you know, a young age. So it's uh, that's admirable. So when you so so w- after you graduate from the, the academy, then then what's your next step?
0: Well, I was at the Merchant Marine Academy, and one of the reasons I really liked the Merchant Marine Academy option was. Um, you have an option to go into any branch of the military, which was slightly different than some of the other federal service academies where you're set to either go Air Force Academy, you're going Air Force, you know, Naval Academy, you're going Navy. All oh, there's a component that goes Marine Corps. Uh, West Point, you're going Army. Merchant Marine Academy was supporting every branch with developing maritime or uh, officers in the armed services. So no matter which branch, whether it was Coast Guard, Marine Corps, Navy. You name it, you had that option, and then there was the component which w- it was originally founded on, and then that is to go work in the maritime industry, working for uh, U.S. U.S. flag uh, carriers and you working in U.S. maritime and uh, U.S. shipping, uh, which is a bit big and important thing for our nation, which was started during World War II, uh, which is uh, manning the Liberty ships and uh, keeping our U.S. goods moving uh, around the world. So what drove me is i just got the bug to serve serve our country and um when i was going to do so i wanted to do it in the toughest and hardest branch so um started going through marine options and put myself on a path through officer candidate school to become a marine officer upon completion of um, my education
1: wow so you made some tough choices pretty pretty young so you end up in the marines And tell us about that. So going through
0: the Merchant Marine Academy, it prepared me really well for the Marine Corps. But going into the Marine Corps officer program, it's some of the best training in our U.S. military. Um, Starting with six months at the basic school in Quantico, then going to a specialty school, which I ended up going into armor. But at that time, when I graduated 2003, we had just engaged in our second conflict overseas. So there was a, a very high chance that I was gonna be deployed. So when I ended up getting my selection, I ended up getting my first choice, which was tanks and armor, and getting stationed out in 29 Palms, where I subsequently was able to pick up a platoon uh, a tank platoon of Marines and subsequently deployed to Iraq in, uh, 2005.
1: Wow. So, uh, well, on behalf of everybody, thank you for your service and for, uh, serving our country. Um, so that must've been for a young, young guy, you're deployed to Iraq, you're in charge of a platoon. I mean, that's a lot of responsibility right out of, uh, school at a young age it
0: was but some of the things that i've to what i mentioned before the training that you go through in the marine corps is well actually any branch is some of the best in the world and the u.s military knows how to train they make training very realistic and you know going back to the business side you know you don't get all that training but From a military side and going into conflict, you've received very realistic, very strenuous, hard training. And you've been surrounded by, you know, some outstanding fellow service members that you're serving alongside. So um, you're as prepared as you can be going into a situation like that.
1: And I guess from a leadership standpoint, there's probably not better leadership training than you get in the military.
0: Absolutely. I mean, from the start at any federal service academy, or I would say even many high school and collegiate sports, you start learning leadership, working as a team, and then that just gets compounded and exponentially improved as you get and go down that military path. So it's something that's constant and it's something that sticks with you, but you never stop learning and improving that.
1: So, how long are you, do you remain, so you're in Iraq, and then how long of a tour was that, and...
0: So, my first deployment was in 2005 um, as a platoon commander, and my second deployment was in 2006, which extended into 2007, uh, as a company executive officer. Those deployments wrapped up, and I stayed on active duty. But I got a job with embassy security working right here in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where we were headquarters and overseeing embassy security throughout the Western Hemisphere.
1: Wow. And then how long did you remain active duty in the Marines?
0: I remained active duty for eight years. And then actually just within the last few months have retired with my 20 years. So I ended up doing an additional 12 years in the reserves, which um, I enjoyed and uh, stayed engaged. Wow.
1: That's uh that's an incredible story. So you come out of the military, you come out of active duty, and uh and what year um was that? Came off active duty in 2010. And then you have ideas to do something different.
0: Which leads that into the business side. Okay You know, while I was um on my second tour doing embassy security, um, I was moonlighting and going to a working professional program to obtain my MBA at Nova Southeastern, oh, wow. which is the H. Wayne Huizinga School of Business and Entrepreneurship. Yeah. So I already knew I had an, an inkling to entrepreneurship, which in the military, it's very much intrapreneurship. Um, cause it's a very structured organization, right. but giving those entrepreneurs the ability to exercise some of those skills and passions. And as I was going through that, that sort of led me to some of the other possible paths that weren't necessarily just down the military route or, uh, federal service, but also on the business side. And t- tell us about that. How did you
1: decide what to do?
0: As with any transition, at that point in time, I was 29 years old. So transitioning out of the military where you've gotten a lot of leadership skills and you've gotten a lot of, I would say, soft skills and people skills and leadership lessons, you might be a little bit behind as it relates to experience in an actual corporation or in certain industries that are parallel to what they are. So I was very deliberate. And even to this day, still love helping people that are transitioning out of the military in regards to how to do that. Because, you know, you start with a blank sheet of paper and it's like, well, what do I want to do next when I grow up? Well, I'm already 29. I'm already behind the curve in certain aspects, but you also got advantages and soft skills that might have excelled you past where someone in their 20s might have gotten leadership experience working in a traditional college straight into, uh, entry level corporation uh, corporate America. So I started looking at that and, uh, entrepreneurship was definitely one of the things I was looking on. Federal service was one of the things I was looking on, but I was also looking at local and small businesses through my network, growing up down here in Fort Lauderdale and through the Nova and was also looking at some of the fortune 500 companies nationwide and seeing if, um, uh, my girlfriend soon after fiance and I were going to pick up and potentially move somewhere else in the United States to, to start
1: uh, that career. Okay. And so what you decide to do, so what's your, what was your choice at that point after looking at all these things? So
0: it, it started with a, uh, are my second entrepreneurial thing, although I don't know if you want to count the shoe polish business as one, but (laughs) it would be a wine import business. And actually one of the co-founders at locality, uh, was one of the first guys I reached out to, uh, which was Drew Saito. Wow. Um, obviously locality wasn't here at the time. Otherwise it would have been here at locality, but, um, basically raised, put some of our own money, raised a little bit from friends and family, and uh, we started a wine import business. So overcame international shipping, overcame customs brokerage, and overcame getting wine to market as an importer. And we didn't have our distribution license, so we worked with other other small businesses that were distributors to help us get our product to market. And we worked with many of the small business restauranteurs that are even around to this day in in our local market. it was a great business i learned a lot but i think about after two years of it supporting the wine habit which it always kept our wine fridge full (laughs) it was hard to make it was hard to make enough money to live in east fort lauderdale so i moved it to a hobby status where it kind of stayed and i moved all the product to another importer and distributor that was kind of self-running it and um ended up uh dissolving the business and about 2017 so about, so, uh, so two, you, about you
1: a 10-year run you still have uh the hobby going
0: yeah i <laughs> i mean my wife and i definitely enjoy drinking wine but um i am no longer an importer of wine okay gotcha
1: <laughs> and so so you ran that for 10 years ran that for just shy of 10 years yes. wow okay and then as you're running that as you're saying like Turns out, it's really a lifestyle business, right? You can can make enough money, but it's never going to be what the kind of business that you really envision going into to to uh, satisfy your entrepreneurial drive. I think, right? Exactly. And so, you decide that you're getting out of that, and then then what comes into your mind? I
0: I had taken a deployment. And this was approximately 2000 t- uh, 2011, so it was 2012, 2013. I finished my master in business at Nova. And this is when
1: you're still uh, in the reserves. It's still yep. in the
0: reserves yep. at this point. And going into 2013, I joined up with a fellow uh, friend of mine that I actually grew up with here in South Florida and agreed to go out to Los Angeles to learn the freight forwarding and customs brokerage business where you know, in a year, I was going to try to learn all aspects of freight forwarding and customs brokerage and also obtain my customs broker's license. And what that was going to give me was an opportunity to catch up with, I should say, some of my peers or some of those in the industry by spending a year to really learn all aspects of the business, whether it's imports, exports, domestic pricing, because um, I was behind the curve, but i needed to understand what all levels of that industry entailed so i could eventually be successful and start up a branch here on the east coast so the end goal was spend a year out there um thank goodness for my supportive wife although she was okay with me leaving for a year to go live in california and travel back and forth and we didn't have any kids at the time but i just i went out there to really bootstrap it um, you know, took a pay cut and really just was out there to work my butt off, you know, whether it was 12 hours or 14 plus hours a day to just learn every aspect of the business and eventually be successful starting up my own branch.
1: And Justine is here today and she's (laughs) our studio audience. So we're glad to to have her with us. Um, So you do that, you come back and you open the branch here for that business opened the
0: branch in 2014 and we started it out of the house um justine let us stay there for um better (laughs) part of a year but i think it was after i had hired the fourth employee uh we eventually got kicked out of the house (laughs) um people were wondering what everyone showing up to the house was every every day (laughs) but uh it was a, uh, it kept the overhead low. So you were
1: work from home before yeah. work for home was a yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly.
0: Okay. Um, and then we ended up linking with a local small business that does uh, warehousing, foreign trade zones, customs warehouses here, challenge warehouse and ended up moving in with them and, um, you know, having a, a more professional environment as we grew our team and grew our
1: operations. So during this, so you were part of someone else's business at this point? Correct. Okay. Correct. Did you have an ownership stake or were you just uh, an employee?
0: So, you know, eventually the year sacrifice and what I was doing was to to eventually be uh, a director and an owner. Okay. And um, because I had that entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship side, I never needed to be a business owner. I never really cared to carry all that stress and all that risk that's associated with it but I needed to have the ability to exercise and and go to maximum potential and continue to grow. So um, it was probably uh, 2000, well it was about 2017 that I ended up um, realizing there was more that I wanted to accomplish and there was more that I felt I could accomplish. So I ended up uh, stepping away from that business in, in 2017
1: stepped away in 2017 and decided to do what
0: well we just had our first child i tried to sell justine on being a stay-at-home dad Uh, she said i didn't help enough around the house (laughs) Um, i ended up interviewing with uh, two or three companies here locally really soul searching and figuring out and embracing that next transition because every transition is a chance to kind of reset and while I was going through that, spending a lot of time on myself, whether it was meditating, exercise, um, talking to my mentors and going back to that white piece of paper that had these few segments I could see myself in and trying to find those people that had been there, done that, that could talk to me about what that was like. And I think it was after my second or third interview with various companies that I ended up... Um, realizing I was probably going to have to start my own company because I couldn't find that company or that individual where my head and heart was going to be completely aligned and completely full where I was going to, you know, do that. So that led me to eventually starting Compass. Wow. So and that was 2017? Yeah, the end of 2017.
1: And so how did you how did you decide well, I guess, how did you get that all started? How did you fund it? How did you get it all going?
0: So true to cause, I just feel like I have a tendency of doing things the hard way. Um, so bootstrapping, hose piping just seemed to be in the nature. So um, I, had, uh, I had sold my, my, my original bachelor pad, Beach Condo, and had a little bit of money from that. And I set a business plan where I wasn't going to be making a salary for hopefully not much more than a year. You know, Justine and I looked at our personal finances. We had a child, you know, so we we now had, you know, additional responsibilities, but we put ourselves on a path where we could balance our budget, not go too much into our savings, not have to necessarily eat peanut butter, jelly and ramen <laughs> noodles, but... I would be able to use some of the money from selling that house to eventually um you know hiring the first employee who's michelle terratua she's with me today wow and afford to support the business operation for two years and then at that point i knew that would give us enough runway to eventually set up a business that was cash flow positive and profitable
1: so did you um was there fear in doing this that you anything you had to overcome from a mental standpoint this just start off i
0: i think any entrepreneur that says they don't exhibit some level of fear going off and taking that big leap or that big step would be either forgetting or uh you know and a peculiar case because i think everyone has fear it's like you know would you have fear in combat you know of course but you find a way to harness that into positive you find a way to harness that into the highest capabilities of you being at the highest performance that you can be because, you know, you've put a lot of skin in the game and you put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into it. So now it's time to go and execute.
1: So how did your execution go? So you you have this plan and how did your plan pan out in terms of, uh, getting a cash flowing business going? How long did it take?
0: You know, it was, it was a slow start and, um, I definitely took it easy for those first few months, um, but I but I had an employee who was very important to me, very important to the business, and we started operating. And as we got through our first year, I really got uh, more active and more aggressive on sales and business development. And you know, we just started hitting year over year multiples and growth that was eventually making us profitable, but. I brought the same mindset that I, had, I had previously, where I was a little bit more conservative, and I didn't want to always. I didn't want to have too much of an overhead. I never liked seeing my, my P and L in the red, uh, so I would even take sacrifices like not paying myself until a year and a half into the business, almost two years into the business, because I wanted to make sure we were still mm-hmm. profitable. So uh, I took that conservative approach and um, eventually we built up to approximately a team to four uh, and eventually six, uh, or actually five by the time the pandemic hit, but we were running profitable month over month. We were growing month over month and year over year. So I felt real good about what we had built from a foundational standpoint, uh, from a finance side, but more importantly, from a people side in regards to what we were trying to build and the values
1: and the culture that we were building as well. And have you been able to just self-fund or have you needed to go out and raise money or go to a bank for a loan or anything like that? So far,
0: we've been able to to bootstrap it to where I think it was the end of the second year, maybe early part of the third year that I was able to pay myself back the loan that I had given the business in the beginning. So that right. was a big accomplishment. And then as we continue to use profits to invest in the people as well as the organization um we've been able to self-fund a lot of that stuff but you know i'm very deliberate about putting those dollars that the company does make and make sure a portion of that goes back to the team And a portion of that goes back to our future growth and investments that we're making, as well as various things that I just wanted to improve as a business owner and as a type of business and partner that we were both to our vendors, as well as our clients, our international agents. And, you know, that goes in the form of just paying fast. You know, we pay our vendors very fast to really be a partner and have best in class vendors. Those are just certain things that we were adopting that takes a lot of cash to do that. But it was shoot. It was just a year ago that I had conversations with you all about just having that line of credit available just in case it was ever needed. Yeah. And if there's one thing that the pandemic has shown us is. You can be prepared, and then life happens, and the unthinkable happens. So,
1: um, you know, sure. How about what do you? What are your plans for the future? You, your business has been you've been up and running for what five, six years now. Absolutely. What's, what's the future look like for you?
0: The future, um, and you know, this stuff goes back to. I would say. On or around the time my third child was being born in 2020. And that was the realization that some of the things that brought us to year three were not going to be some of the things that got us to year seven. Mm-hmm. And one of the hardest things for me to swallow uh, as the entrepreneur and, and business owner and founder was the role that I played. Um, knowing that if you have any sort of Uh, you know way of being too much involved in your business you can do that when it's one or two people or three or four and you can be a little bit uh, more involved but if you're going to scale an organization and reach that eight people ten people plus you have to not be that limiting factor for your business because if you're making all of those decisions and it's constantly all of a sudden you might have been the key person that got the business to where it is, but to get it above that, you're going to be the limiting. You're going to be the governor for the business. And I think that was a tough realization and that was really much easier said than done. But I slowly started to pull myself out of the daily decisions and the day-to-day operations and really work on how I was going to develop my team and my leadership and empower them to make some of those decisions and train them to get um, to the level that they were comfortable to do so, where the business is scaling and growing without you sitting there and making every call and every every decision for the that's, business. That's
1: great advice for, for any entrepreneur, and it's very, you know, self-aware of you to recognize that and be able to make that transition and grow your company. So... I mean, I've mentioned self-aware. Have you had help with that in terms of mentors and people that have helped you?
0: That's been one of the things I'm most fortunate about. I'm surrounded by uh, a lot of great people from from family to um, my Vistage group, the Keith Costellos and the rest of our crew, <laughs> which is quite uh, some outstanding uh, business owners and leaders. Um You know, I got some very close friends and mentors, uh, one specifically um, that helped me realize in a very blunt way that I was going to become the biggest limiting factor for the business if I didn't figure out how to get past that. Wow. So um, knowing that you can invest in the people, in the systems, in the process. um, And I, I mean, here we are. Shoot, what are we? You know, almost three years later and while it's been a deliberate intentional path I wouldn't say I'm there it's a it's a it's a process and it's something that's not a comfortable process but as long as you're making strides and making uh, steps in that direction you're going to uh, eventually get better if potentially even achieve it that's
1: great great advice so what Advice, if you could say, so you've, you've obviously, you've been through a lot and you're still a relatively young guy, Uh, military career, um, combat veteran, you've led troops in battle, um, started a business. What advice would you have for people out there who might be watching this and thinking about starting a business?
0: If it's okay, I'm going to first talk about the military component. because. I'm a strong advocate for anyone that wants to serve their country. Um, Number one, there's the part about just service, doing something bigger than self and serving something greater than self. And serving in uniform, I think, is one of those things that anyone can be proud of and fulfilled no matter the reason that they actually end up doing it. And there's a few professions that I think also have a greater purpose where it's not like you're making a whole lot of money, but the fulfillment that you get through what you do. So I would encourage anyone that's younger and might be mixed, right? They might have more than one goal. You know, they might have business and personal goals, but they might still want to serve. I can't tell you how many people said, oh, I really wanted to get in back then, and it's almost like they have some level of regret. So I think the one thing that I would advocate or uh, recommend is that those people that feel that desire to serve do it because you're not gonna have those regrets. And frankly, the worst thing, well, I mean, if you think about it, some of the things, even if you don't get the exact specialty you want, um, you're going to get skills that are gonna stick with you for the rest of your life. And whether it's the work ethic, whether it's the discipline, these things are what's going to make you successful so that when you do start a business, they're going to be at the forefront of why you were successful.
1: I think that is really good. If I, I did ROTC and served also in Absolutely. the military and the army, and I've, I've always drawn on that. Uh, so, I mean, I think that's great advice. And I don't think you missed out on anything. I think the things that you've learned during that military service you know, are, are why you are where you are today, I think in a, in a big way, but anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt. No,
0: I, I appreciate it. And I see those zero five workouts with CrossFit, you know, that you do, (laughs) and it's just, it's not ingrained or wired in all of us through our normal happenings of high school or, or college. So you get some of those soft skills that are the key to becoming better citizens, better business owners, better employees. And that's why I think a little bit of military service for a lot of people is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, outside of that, I think for those that are wanting to get, you know, whether it's in the military or whether it's getting your experience elsewhere, building your skills out and getting some of those soft skills like hard work and discipline or those things that are going to make you successful.
1: And then what about taking that jump into an entrepreneurial business?
0: Taking the jump into an entrepreneurial business is the only other advice that I would provide in addition. You got the soft skills, you get some of the experience. And then the other component that I mentioned is surrounding yourself with good advisors and mentors that can help you make better decisions, that can help you um, uh, clear through what might just be a a perception versus reality, facts versus fiction, and really help you make informed decisions. And I think that's one of the things I'm most thankful for is that group that surrounds me, and I continue to build on that. Vistage is a big part of that for me. Mm And surrounding yourself with those great mentors and leaders that you look up to that give you advice that are looking out for your best interests. They know you, but they also know some of your goals. I think that would be one of the pieces of advice I would think of someone that's looking to make the leap is they will help advise you for the right reasons in regards to guiding you along that journey. But just don't have any misconceptions that it's going to be easy (laughs) Um, because there are a lot easier ways to make a living. Um, So, um, but if you're passionate about it, you got that entrepreneurial itch, I would encourage anyone that wants to make that sacrifice to do it, to do
1: it, to go for it. Oh, that's great. Great advice. So now we're going to go into our famous lightning round, which is where you just give quick answers to a number of uh, of questions. And uh, we'll start off with a favorite book.
0: I'm going to go my favorite book that I've given to four or five people in my office. And it's uh, You Can't Hurt Me. Uh, by david goggins oh my gosh um the seal that went through uh three hell weeks and um yeah just the the mental toughness and what that how that rolls over into physical mental success you being the best version of yourself and pushing yourself i i've just i enjoyed that book greatly i just read it for a second time and i've given it to some of the uh some of the guys, some of the guys and gals in my office.
1: That's great. Yeah. And he's, he does some great YouTubes and posts as well. Um, what about a song that is like your, uh, theme song you've got one? Yeah. So
0: from, (laughs) yeah. So, uh, a little bit embarrassing, but, um, my daughter and I were listening. Uh, I can't remember which radio station, but, uh, I will always love you by Whitney Houston bodyguard. <laughs> oh wow. Came on okay. and Justine's uh, laughing. We kind of <laughs> we kind of agreed that that's <laughs> going to be our song and Justine thinks it's silly and crazy but uh we embrace it All and right. she gets in the car and she asked me to put it on. So uh okay. it's our special little thing.
1: Good. What's the best piece of advice you ever received?
0: Shoot, it looks at me every day. Um it's the little um uh, paperweight in my office, trust, but verify Ronald Reagan, yeah. uh, given to me by my dad. And, uh, yeah, it still sits there. That's a good, that's a good one that just stands out for me.
1: Excellent. If you could have dinner with anyone living or dead, who would it be? So I
0: thought about this for a sec, but John McCain, um, Wow. when you think of, uh, someone that truly lived a life. Of impact, um, challenge, trial, service—he's uh, one that you know. I think I look up to in a lot of different uh, chapters of his life, from you know his pilot days to prisoner of war to post-service. It's just uh, someone that I just—and I would just try to listen. I try to ask a few good questions, but I think I could just listen.
1: I area. did have an opportunity to meet Senator McCain uh, Yeah, on one of our Florida bankers trips to uh, Washington. And what a, an amazing uh, person and truly exemplifies service. Life of service, for yeah. sure. We could use him today, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I wish he was still around. Uh, what's something you're grateful for today?
0: It's It's got to be Justine and...
1: Is that um, just because she's sitting there? Yeah. <laughs> no, like,
0: you it's, better say me, it, buddy. It's it's family. I mean, yeah. you know, I didn't say this in my advice for entrepreneurs, but it, if you don't have that support structure, you can't do you can't do it. There's too much sacrifice, and I think the thing that I'm so grateful is that she she's the wife and partner to support me in doing that. And I think any entrepreneur has that support whether it's directly from their spouse and their kids, those people are going to be the ones that sacrifice as much as you do because they're sacrificing and giving some of their father or their mother or their whatever to go be successful and mentor and lead a team. And that a lot of the times takes from that core support group, understanding and supporting you wholeheartedly to go forward and have the confidence and be the best version of yourself even though it's going to take and detract a little bit from how much time you're going to be around because it's a lot of hard work
1: that's great how about uh what do you do for for hobbies you obviously you're you stay in shape you uh what kind of stuff do you do
0: so not a lot of free times uh, with the various hats, uh, obviously just retired from the reserves. So I quickly used that time, but uh, a lot of it is spent doing things with the family. Um, any given weekend, you're going to find us either at the beach, by the pool, on the boat, embracing the the true South Florida lifestyle, being on the water, which we all love and uh, being together with family. Um, on the occasion that I, do something, uh, with my friends or out. It would probably be my favorite thing is surfing. I just don't do enough of it these days, uh, fishing and, uh, attempts at
1: golf. But typically those are far and few between these days. So. Well, that's great. Um, is there a travel destination that's, I know, I know you've done a few good trips this year. You've, you know, I've been on one with you with our Vistage group, but you also did one down, a fishing trip that you were raving about. But is there something else still out there on your bucket list for a travel? Well, getting to Panama
0: with my dad to Tropic Star was awesome. You yeah. know, and what they do down there. Uh, NOVA, the Oceanographic Center is involved with the fish conservation. But I would say if we had one on our short list, I think it's the Greek Isles. But I've been dying to do a trip in a catamaran Maybe I'm not the captain. Maybe I'm the captain. But, you know, just kind of going around on a catamaran, whether it be the Caribbean or the Greek Isles would be my bucket list.
1: Great. So last question. What was what has been your greatest moment and your most difficult moment in business?
0: Greatest moment to date.
1: Um, This
0: is going to go a little bit deeper and hopefully not too long, but a large part, people ask why I started the business. And uh, my wife, not just because she's here, um, worked for uh, over 15 years, almost 17 years at Channel 10. And I was completely fine. She always made more money than I did when I was in the military. She had a very successful career, a wonderful team over there at ABC Channel 10. And as we started having kids, it was always a goal of mine to eventually set up a successful business where if she didn't have to work as hard and wanted to spend more time with the kids and at home, that she would have that flexibility to do so. So I think the greatest moment was in 2021 when I told her, I think the business is finally there. And, um, Yeah, I think it was a few days later. She didn't take long to make the decision (laughs) and went out with style uh, in class as she does things. But um, that was certainly uh, that that just sticks out in my mind. That's great. So
1: how about toughest?
0: Who, man, there's there's been a lot of tough chapters. I mean, starting a business. That's why I don't sugarcoat it. And I'm just direct about it. There's a lot of sacrifice. There's a lot of hard times. There's a lot where someone that's as passionate or or driven, you know, you kind of get disappointed or you get hurt. Um, But I would say that the hardest has probably been where I had to make a decision that was for my personal and one of my personal relationships that meant a lot to me, Um, but ended up um being better for the company so i had to sacrifice what was personally personally more comfortable or or uh closer to what's in the best interest for the organization and the people within the organization and i think that's one of the hardest things that any entrepreneur but i think it's important that when you are the ceo that you build that competence to when you have to make a decision, because if you're adjusting behaviors and things for an exception, it's becoming the norm because you're allowing it to happen. And I think that was sort of the, the hardest lessons that I've had to go through personally. Um, cause it wasn't easy and,
1: um, it was very hard. Wow. So how can people get in touch with you? shoot um probably
0: the website uh social media website email, is what let's uh, see uh www okay and our our handles i think it's called a handle i'm not it's <laughs> social, but the instagram linkedin it's all compass okay and
1: you're on linkedin too
0: i'm on linkedin right. and uh actually yeah i'd love to to talk to anyone um certainly i've been surrounded by a bunch of people that have given me free advice and and recommendations and and i'd love to pay it forward
1: so. great well danny james and justine james thank you so much for being here today thanks keith appreciate it absolutely
0: thanks for tuning in to Localities making bank podcast be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to catch the latest episodes And visit localitybank.com today to learn more about all the benefits of banking local.